So I'm really excited about this because typically I, uh, we've been, for, for the last uh, year really, it's been mainly just going over a lot of theory, a lot of themes and ideas, and my favorite thing to do is just to look at the text and go through it and see Jesus in it and what we do in light of Jesus. So this is really exciting for me. For the last few weeks, we've been talking about a missional, what missional communities are. And uh, if you guys have seen, we've broken apart a mission community in two parts. So um, a missional community is a mid-sized family of missionary servants who are committed to making disciples, doing two things, loving one another like a family and loving a people group or a mission uh, a ministry through word and deed. So we're going to be talking about the first part because if we don't have the first part that is loving one another like a family, we won't be able to do the second part well at all. We're not mercenaries here just coming together, a band of people just working together so that we can do something. Uh, we're a family, and that's where we come to this text. So as we go to John 17, we're going to be in verse 20. The question I want to ask you and for us to consider is, how do we show the world that Jesus is real? How do we show the world that Jesus is real? Because we believe Jesus is real, and we bank our lives on him. We bake our eternities on him, but most of the world does not believe that Jesus is who he says he is. So how do we show the world that Jesus is actually real and who he is, who he says he is? And this passage is, um, shows us one way, um, if not one of the most primary ways. So if you look at verse 9, starting off in chapter 17, um, it gives you a little context. Jesus says this, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So in other words, Jesus is praying specifically for his people, for his disciples that are right there. Okay? And he's not praying for the world, which is something so sweet if you think about it for a second. And if you've been churched enough, it's like, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus prays for us. Jesus is in the high priestly prayer in John 17. Jesus is not praying for everybody. And and all of us probably know people who walk with God intimately, and you just feel better when they pray for you more than other people. You guys know what I'm saying? There's some people like, can you just pray? Like, and someone else like, I'll pray for you. Like, no, 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 not you. No, you. Can you pray? Because because I know that you walk with God in a way. You you and and although although we all have access to the Father through Jesus, there's some people that have this this faith when they pray, this intimacy with God, and who else has that more than Jesus? And Jesus is praying for the disciples. Now, go to verse 20. He's not just praying for the disciples, but verse 20, I do not ask for these only, these disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So who are the people that will believe? Us. And we believe through whose word? Their word, meaning the apostles. So the apostles were sent, and now we are also have received this word and we are now disciples also so this word right here is for us it's not just for the 12 who are there and remember this is a really intimate scene they're not there's not a big crowd there's just a few and this is right before jesus is about to be arrested and he won't eat eat or drink for many hours and he'll be beaten and he's about to go and be um sent to a trial and falsely executed 
So what does he say in verse 21? So we know that the context is he's praying for us too. And he says this, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may believe in us. Let's stop right there. He is praying that they would be one as he is one with the Father. Now look at verse 11. The second part of verse 11. He prays. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Same kind of prayer. He's praying for the disciples. He's now praying for us also that we would be one with each other just as the Father is one with Jesus. That he, that we would have a unity with each other that is like the unity the Father had with the Son. Think about that for a second. I have been, I've been married to Joanna for eight years. I've, seven. I've known her for eight years. That's what I meant. Not, not really. Not really. Uh, seven is a perfect number, okay? So seven is great. I've known her for eight years, and we are really one. I mean, the Bible says that we become one. We're married. We're one flesh. But we've only known each other for eight years. How long has the Father known Jesus? Before there was even time. He's always known Jesus. He's always been one with Him. There is a unity there that is not comprehensible and not comparable to any kind of unity that we can imagine. As one as you are with your family, your parents, as one as you are with your spouse, one as you are with your pets or whatever it is, there is no unity like the Father has with the Son. And so Jesus, taking this unity on the side, he's saying, just like this unity, I want that for these, my people. I want them to be so one like I am one. Now, why does he want to be one? Because if, if you keep track of the news and keep track of pop culture, do you guys know songs that talk about being one? And there's this, there, there, there are songs out there and there's these ideas of we all want to be one people. But to what end? For what purpose? Jesus has a purpose for why he wants us to be one. Not to be one, just to be one, but for a purpose. And look at back at verse 21. Here's the purpose clause. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. One more time. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. So he wants us to be one in such a way that the world, and and in this passage, the world is in a negative terminology, okay? Sometimes the world is speaking about generically the world. This is more of a negative way to speak of the world. So that the unbelieving world that's in rebellion towards me will believe that Jesus was sent by the Father. So there is a way for us to love one another and have a unity with one another in such a way that will testify that Jesus is sent by God. Now let's keep going because he's going to unpack this a little more. Verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. We're going to go back to that word glory in a second. That they may be one even as we are one. So again, why are they receiving this glory? so that we may be one, even as we are one. And what's the purpose of that? Verse 23, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one. Not kind of one, but perfectly one. And here's the 
the final purpose again, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. There are a lot of amazing verses in the Bible, but there are few as miraculous and marvelous as this verse. I mean, did you guys catch that in the very end of verse 23? He wants us to be perfectly one so that, again, so that the world may know that Jesus is sent by the Father, Jesus is really who He says He is, and so that they would know that God loves them even as He loves Jesus. He is comparing the Father's love with Jesus to what His love has, what kind of love He has for us. He's not just saying generically, oh, I love you. Because we say that all the time in our culture. I love pizza. I love that person. I love this. I love the day. It's beautiful. He's using this love and he is bringing it to the highest degree possible. Just like he's bringing up unity as the highest degree possible. He's now saying, I love you like I love Jesus. So Jesus is saying that to us, that he, the father, loves us like he loves him. He loves Jesus. And I, and I just pray that we would not be callous to that truth. That kind of intensity. That's like me saying to somebody, I love you like I love my wife. You see, you see how that changes it a little bit? And let's make this illustration go further. What if this person was a, a evil, terrible person who was my enemy... And I'm saying, I love you now, and I've forgiven you, I've, I've paid your debt, and I love you like I love my wife. I mean, now then it's like, whoa, whoa, that love is crazy. Jesus is saying that he, the Father loves us like that. And so here's the question that comes up naturally if we think about it. How do we love one another like this? How do we love one another with a kind of unity that the world will take notice and turn their head. That the world won't just say like, oh, you know, they just love each other because they all look the same. Or they love each other because it's really convenient for them. Or they love each other because they all have a big hole in their heart and they need each other's love, so they're self-medicating each other by loving one another and they're just so needy for each other. How do we love in such a way that the world cannot have any of those excuses that they're like, whoa, I cannot explain that love. Now, I'll tell you the wrong answer. The wrong answer is we cannot do that by merely working harder. Because there's going to be times, to be honest, that I will not want to love you. There's going to be times where I'm going to know in my head I need to love you, and I'm just like, mmm, I don't want to love you. Because you are not lovable right now. You are annoying, and vice versa. There's going to be days that you're not going to love me, and I'm not going to be convenient to love. And in those moments... Just a general sense that loving is good will not fail. That's why our culture, when our culture says stuff like, choose love. Which is interesting. I don't want to poo-poo on this or take too much time on this, but did you guys see the royal wedding at all? The latest one? The, they had a preacher, uh, this Anglican preacher, preach a sermon on love. Do you guys, anybody hear that or listen to it? Nobody? Okay, well, good. You guys are, like, not all, like, you know, crazy about the... That's good. Um, 
But if you listen to the sermon, he talks about, we need love. And he's like so passionate. And like all these British people are just staring blank face. Some people are like falling asleep. But he was so good. Like he was so passionate. I loved it. He's just going hard after how we need love. But he never gives us a source of love. He never gives us the ultimate purpose for love. And so this general notion that we hear all the time in our culture, love is love and love one another, that, that will go out the door the moment you, you actually wrong that person in a way that's meaningful that they don't like. That weird notion that, oh, we should, all we need is love, that's going to go out the toilet immediately when you really wrong me. Mercy. Mercy, do you mind? I love you. And so what will fuel our love for one another in a way that is supernatural. Now, look, let's look at this next verse. I love the Bible. It just all shows that everything comes together. Verse 24. Father, Jesus is praying to the Father, remember. I desire, what does he desire? That they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory. That's that word glory from verse 22. In verse 22, if you look, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Verse 24, that they may see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Okay, so there's just two things to see here. So how do we have this kind of supernatural love? Is that we have to have intimacy with God. We have to be with Him. Look, Jesus is praying, Father, I want them to be with me. Which is so cool because God isn't just using us for our gifts and for us to be slaves to serve Him. He actually wants to be with you and I. He wants to be with us. He wants us to be with Him where I am. And and what does He want in that intimacy? He wants us to see His glory, to see His beauty. And And in being with Him regularly and seeing His glory, that will fuel our love for one another. It's like this giant river that never ends, this love that is a waterfall and it cascades into us. The Father's love for the Son, the Son's love for the Father, and the Holy Spirit being all in, in that, this beautiful love triangle, the first love triangle, loving one another. And as, that, as we behold that love, we receive that love, it pours into us and then it flows out of us. And it's never ending as long as we keep going to the source. Or if we use John's 15 language, it's never ending as long as we're connected to the vine. This love that will keep coming as we see the glory. And verse 25 it keeps going, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known. So this is the process of Jesus continuing to revealing the Father. And why? Final purpose in this chapter, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. His final purpose as he's praying, he said he wants the love that he has with the Father to be in us and within our community and each other. So to sum up this whole section, how do we make the world see that Jesus is real? We love one another with the supernatural unity, likened to the Father's unity with the Son. And how do we do this? That we have intimacy with God, intimacy with Him, and receiving and beholding His glory on a regular basis that will fuel our love for one another as we see the love of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. As we look there, we start becoming that kind of love, and then we project that love to one another, and then we receive And we give this beautiful love circle 
as a community. And we love in, and, and then we love in such a way, and we have unity in such a way that the world then says, I have never seen such love. I cannot explain that love. It does not make sense. And I've already seen glimpses of that love. Today, Dale came uh, after work home early, and I was exhausted from a handful of things that happened today. And I laid down, and I did some prep, but I also took a nap. And Dale, after getting off of work, is playing with my son in the heat. That is a glimpse of the Father's love, because that does not make sense. I did not pay him. Did I? <laughs> I did not pay him. I did not even ask him. And he just cared for my son who needed male bonding time because <laughs> I was not available today. That's, that, that's a glimpse of that supernatural love. And, and my prayer is that we would become that community such, in such a way that the most attractive thing about our community will not be our service, our preaching, our amenities, because we don't have many, our stellar programs and great snacks for our kids. But the most attractive thing would be the way we love each other. What would it be like if we were known for the way we love each other? And you think about all the churches in the United States, and you think about most of the churches, they're well known for what? The churches that are big and well known, they're known for what? Usually a certain preacher. Oh, that's Francis Chan's church, or that is John Piper's church. They have great preaching. Or that's, a, that's Bethel. They have great music, according to some. <coughs> I like a lot of it. Right? And so, so many churches, they're known for individuals who are really good at something. But what if we can be a community that was known because, man, they love each other. And that Asian guy who preaches there, he's, he's okay, you know. But they love each other so well that I want to be here. And, and I remember... Um, the Edwards telling us when, when we first met them, when they first went to um, a previous church plant, there were so many things about that church plant that were like, uh, I don't know about this. But, you know, they were invited right after the gathering to like three different homes to have meals with them. And they're like, hey, we, could, we, we should stick around here. We like free meals. Now, that's not the reason. But they saw love, and that was compelling. And what if we loved each other in such a way that the world could not resist it? world cannot ignore it. And that is my goal, is that the most powerful apologetic that we would have is the way we love each other. So if we're going to be a healthy missional community, we need to first be a community that loves one another well. And then we invite unbelievers to see what wondrous love is this among us. Instead of us individually going out by ourselves, just trying to witness to people, we bring them in or we bring the community to them and they see the way we love each other and see Jesus incarnated in the way we love each other. But how are we going to do that? It's going to take intimacy with God. We cannot manufacture it on our own. We can get really excited about it, but we will dry it like that if we really get into it. We need intimacy with God and we need to behold Him regularly. And so that's kind of what Sunday gatherings are. Sunday gatherings is a vertical day where we're going to see and behold him, receive teaching and try and, and it be kind of a catalyst throughout the week. But then as we gather throughout the week for MCs and DNA groups, that's when we can practice these love one another's and love each other. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to transition into applying this. I got a whiteboard here. And what I want to do is I want us to take turns sharing ideas. Of what would it look like to love one another like a family, in such a way that the world cannot resist it. 
that the world cannot deny that Jesus is who he says he is. And God, would you do that in us? Would you help us be that? And this not just be a rah-rah kind of talk, but that this would be true and we would love each other that way, even when it hurts. Amen?